Well, we are now three games into the postseason, and the London Knights have an opportunity to close out their first round matchup against the Owen Sound Attack. And we're going to highlight everything here on the night shift, Calgamard. Mike Stubbs, Jim Van Horn, and the two gentlemen I just referred to joining us from Owen Sound as we are recording today on the game day of game four between the Knights and the attack. You can follow us on social media at Stubbs980, at Kyle Grammar, Jim Van Horn on Twitter as well. He, we have great photographs and, and captions throughout the course of the game. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, globalnews.ca. I will start with you, gentlemen. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Where are you uh, Where are you recording from? You know what? We were in the same room, and then that was going to echo a lot, so I went to an echoier place. I am uh, hopefully so – I, I found a chair in a stairwell in the hotel. It's a very comfortable chair. That's where I am. I've taken over the room, so uh, <laughs> I appreciate Mike uh, find, finding another place, but we'll be able to uh, communicate, and uh, that's the main thing here in lovely scenic city, Owen Sound, where uh, we drove by the Chichiman, which is just fired up and ready to go, so spring and summer can't be far away. I lived there for about five months over the summer, about six or seven years ago, and it is an absolutely beautiful spot to be uh, during that time. I didn't experience the winters. I heard at times the <laughs> snow got so bad. If it snowed enough, the roads just closed down and you just didn't go to work that day. But uh, nevertheless, gentlemen, we have a series to discuss here. The Knights on Tuesday night go into the Bay Shore and take it three to two in overtime off of all things, gentlemen the Bay Shore bounce. It's so interesting how things get amplified so much in the playoffs, isn't it? I mean, every time we kind of come up here, we casually mention it. It's a thing, you know, and then when an overtime uh, uh, game-winning goal goes the night's way off of the class, it was a classic Bay Shore bounce. Um, you know, you, you, you focus on it and the team's, actually build it into their game planning. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted a video yesterday of the practice session. You got to take time and practice to kind of give the goalies a little look as to how that puck's going to bounce off and where, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a chaotic situation because uh, every bounce is different. And the bottom line is Kyle, you could comment on this, just how um, a puck gets in the goalie's feet and that's usually where the most dangerous uh, Bayshore bounce ends up. And that's where Humphrey kind of got into the crease and chipped one in off of a Logan Mayu shot. But what is a goalie taught to do when the puck's in their feet? I think one of the worst things you can do as a goalie when the puck's in your feet is be standing up. Uh, you are in no man's land at that point. And, you know, you'd like to just be able to drop and at least have some sort of coverage on the puck. But it's all situational and, and dependent on what the circumstances are at that point, if it's off a bounce like that, you don't want to just drop immediately because the puck can then go off the back of your leg and into the net. So you've got to locate the puck and try to get down into a butterfly to take away the bottom portion of the net, considering where the puck was going. And with the may you shot, you know, I listened to your guys broadcast uh, on that goal and, and on the overtime period. And the way Jim, you illustrated it was so perfect is may you was purposely trying to put it about six to eight feet right of the net and have it come right back out to where Humphrey was battling in front. And he's all twisted up and finds a way to put a stick around the body and then tuck <laughs> it into the back of the net. But you know, votary is, is, 
playing the first shot because there's a lot of traffic in front. And then as he tries to get back to the net, he's kind of in this in-between of he's trying to get up, but he's trying to lunge, but not give up the bottom half of the net. And it's such a split second decision that before he can really make the move, you know, Humphrey does a great job and puts it in. And, you know, Mike, I, I go to you here too, because you've seen that bounce handfuls of times. It normally goes Owen Sound's way. They know exactly how to make use of it. We saw it a few times during the game in game three. There was a time when Ethan Burroughs just sent this little lofty backhand to a perfect spot along the end boards, and it didn't look like it was going to bounce back. It's almost like the puck came out faster than it was going in. Logan Mayu in warm-up, he was playing off the boards. He and Brett Brochu were talking about it, where pucks will go. And he took about 20 shots at the end board. So he had an idea of what was going on. And so that was brilliant on his part to be ready for that because he took the shot in overtime. And then here is Ryan Humphrey, who, because we keep talking a lot about the Bayshore bounce and Logan Mayu's shot, Ryan Humphrey's the guy who had to fend off everything Owen Sound and find a way to poke it in, but he did. This place is known for the Bayshore bounce. Did you guys talk about it? Was this a plan? Was this a wink-wink between you and Logan? Yeah, no, I've seen uh, Maisie try it a couple times. We talked about it in between periods and stuff. And we know how bouncy those boards are. So I saw him kind of wind up, and I knew he didn't have a lane right to the net, and I knew he was kind of going to put it around there. So just backed up, went, came back to me, and just tried to put it in, went off the goalie and went nuts. So that's all I really remember. <laughs> so what do you do when you know he's going to wind up? Where do you, like, are you trying to box out, like, in basketball for a rebound? What are you doing? Right, exactly. I mean, I just tried to get that guy on my back and go as close to the net as possible, and it just found my stick perfectly, so I'll take it. When you see that go in, what's the feeling like? Oh, chills i see all the boys come flying in it's the best feeling honestly that's why you play right so um i mean we'll try to get game four and try to ride the emotion from this one does it go from that elation to all of a sudden trying to keep your feet as everybody's jumping all over you yeah honestly it's your breath i couldn't barely breathe i'm like all right this is fun now i can't breathe or get away from me but no it was awesome i mean I don't care. As long as we win, I'll take the beating. <laughs> they made it tough on you guys all game to get to the net. What do you think started to change? Um, I mean, th their coach, their systems, like, you, you know they're coming hard regular season, especially playoffs, they're going to turn up a notch. So we just try to counter that by being aggressive. And, I mean, it's a battle in playoffs. There's uh, no shifts off, no games off. So we just try to play hard the whole time. Have fun in game four. I uh, will. Thank you. Knights forward Ryan Humphrey with the game winner. And now, Kyle, we've got a 3-0 series lead for the London Knights. Everybody knows, though, the hardest one to win is the one that eliminates another team because they're going to come out as desperate as desperate can be. Well, desperate's the right use of the word there. And not only that, but Owen sounds at this point thinking, we got nothing to lose if we take a chance on something and it doesn't work. That's it. So there's their backs are against the wall. There's no, you could, you could look at it saying there's no margin for error, but I think with Owen sound, they're probably going into it with house money going, listen, we're down three. All London's got to do is win one game. So we're just going to go out and play as hard as we can. And the pressure's on the Knights now, I think to close it out. Cause like you said, the hardest one to win is, is the fourth one. How many times have we seen a team go, whether it's up three, nothing or three, one or three, two, and try to claw for that fourth win. And oftentimes the team that they're playing against ends up fighting back and making a lot closer of a series. And that could potentially be what happens, but 
You know, the Knights are getting contributions from different guys. We saw Denver Barkey put a couple in his first two goals of the series on Tuesday night as well. Maybe there's an opportunity for another guy, maybe from games one or two to jump back. Maybe it's a chance for a new guy from the Knights. But nevertheless, you're right. It is going to be the toughest game of the series, hands down. And that's saying something because games two and three have gone OT. Yeah, and credit to the attack for uh, getting those games to OT. Um because, you know, and if you look at especially game number two, the Knights held the margin of play, uh, but the attack were able to get those two late goals. Um, the uh, On the Knights side, what I would suggest is using the clock to your advantage. Uh, obviously, in an elimination game, uh, the other team, if you get off to a really good start, and if the Knights have a good first period and uh, come out of there in good shape, maybe have the lead or take the lead early second or something. And then the clock starts really working. Own sound will have to press even more. They'll have to take more chances. That's when you get openings, odd man rushes, create turnovers in the neutral zone, and you can generate scoring chances off of their aggressiveness. So, uh, and as that clock ticks away, you know, depending on uh, the score, obviously, um, you know, it puts more pressure on the uh, on the attack. So the Knights really uh, want to focus on a good start tonight. If they can get the first goal or two, then they'll get a lot more chances because Owen Sound will then have to play a totally different game. And Jim, that's an excellent point. And maybe, you know, we can look at any game and say, oh, it's so important to score the first goal. The way that Owen Sound has been playing the last two games no, it is important to score the first goal because Owen Sound is normally a very aggressive team. They'll send two guys in on the forecheck and they use it to their advantage. The ice surface is 200 feet by 85 feet here, but the corners are a little more shallow. So it's almost shaped like a rugby ball here at the Harry Lumley Bayshore Community Center. And so you can really impact on another team, if you are sending those four checkers deep and fast and hard and aggressively. And that's what Owen Sound does. But in game two, they switched to the 1 3 1 and they were trapping it up a little bit. They were lining three guys up along the blue line and leaving a guy way, way back, almost like a safety in football, way back, right by the goalie. And that guy will go after dump ins. That guy will certainly, you know, be there if anybody gets through for the London Knights. So they've been playing very defensive. You score that first goal of the game, that has to change. If Owen Sound gets the first goal of the game, they might try and ride this to a 2 0, 2 1 win. So you want to get that first goal to bring Owen Sound out of that 1 3 1 shell and force them to open up. And then that plays into the Knights' hands. Well, and I also think, too, with the game being 2-2 going into overtime in Game 3, I think that's where Owen Sound wants those type of games. I don't think they want to play those 4-4 into OT where there's nine goals in a game. I think that plays a little bit more in, I think, London's side just because they've got a little bit more of offense spread out and the systems that they run and, you know, they've got the guys to do it. But I think, you know, with Owen Sound, you don't mind being in a 2-2 tie. It's just a matter of finding your opportunities to get three by Brett Brochu and Brochu was spectacular in game three. He was up to the challenge. It was the first game that the attack outshot the Knights for to a certain extent. I think in overtime, London made a lot closer, but you know, I think for, for the attack, if, if they, like you said, Mike, if they can keep these games, what like two, one, three, two games, I think they feel a lot better than if the games are four, three, five, four type situations. Yeah. They limited 
the London Knights, the attack did to 16 shots into the second period. And, and you think that's, you know, that's doing what they wanted to do. And the Owen Sound attack proved that they can play it defensively. The other question is Colby Barlow. And the other question beyond that is Isaiah George. Colby Barlow, the captain of the attack, hit Isaiah George from behind. George left the game, did not return. He's listed as day-to-day. I wouldn't expect him to play tonight. Colby Barlow, as we record this, there has been no supplementary discipline. That doesn't mean that any will come, but that could be a big factor as well because you're taking more scoring out of the Owen Sound lineup where they're going to play it as defensive as possible and hope to win one of those playoff-style games. Yeah, they need Barlow. Uh, that's for sure. He's their he's their fire firepower. That guy, that electric skill that can score almost uh, you know out of nothing. In fact, uh, the league has given him the third goal, the uh, Gendon goal from the uh, from the point. Apparently, he tipped it, and now give Colby Barlow a hat trick for the game number two. <laughs> so that just goes to show you how much the uh, attack will miss him. And it's really interesting that the captain of the team, uh, 17-year-old, is just such a such a big part. I mean, they really, um, depending on the league ruling today, they they will really, their attitude will be hinged on, on this uh, possible, possible suspension to Colby, Colby Barlow on that hit uh, on Isaiah George. Well, and Colby Barlow so far in his OHL career has played 59 games in each of the last two seasons, and he has never uh, scored less than 30 goals in a campaign. So he is a significant contributor. And like you said, just 17 years of age, he is going to be a high draft pick in this upcoming NHL uh, entry draft. But, you know, we got to look ahead to, you know, the game for tonight. We also want to look ahead, uh, gentlemen, to some other series going around and there's not only one series done, but another two could potentially be finished tonight as well. The uh, Peterborough Peets, they are moving on. They take out the Sudbury Wolves in a sweep with a four to nothing series win. The Sarnia Sting and Kitchener Rangers can also do the same. Now we, you know, you may have been, you may have been able to call Sarnia doing it. I don't think there were a whole lot of people, not just calling for a Rangers win in the series, but a Rangers sweep. It's never happened before. No eight seed has swept a number one seed in the OHL. Kitchener could be the first, but here's the challenge, Jim, for them. We talk about the attack potentially missing Colby Barlow, their captain. We've seen a few other captains suspended. Nolan Dillingham of the Sarnia Sting for a head hit on Hunter McKenzie of the Guelph Storm. Uh, We see him get four games, so he's not eligible to return until April the 11th. And then you have Brant Clark for a kneeing penalty that he was assessed. He got a one-game suspension. He is eligible to return for Barry tonight. And then Jim Francesco Pinelli, captain of the Kitchener Rangers, a guy who makes that team go. He got three games for a hit in the Windsor Spitfires game on Oliver Peer. And so he will be out. This would be the first of three, how big an impact is not having Francesco Pinelli for the way the Rangers have been playing against Windsor? Well, he really drives them, and that's uh, it is an interesting story. Don't know if it means anything. Four captains, all four captains suspended. Wow, uh, <laughs> Dillingham, they're all ca- uh, Brant Clark, uh, Pinelli. Uh, so yeah, he drives that team Kitchener. He is their leader. He scores the big, uh, in this series, he scored the big shorthanded goals, crucial time in the game. He'll make a play. He just is the inspirational kind of leader of that Ranger team. And if Windsor has, uh, 
any life left in them, this will give them even more uh, hope. And uh, they'll draw on, um, of course, none of the players remember this, but there was a series a few years ago when Kitchener went up 3-0 on Windsor and Windsor roared back to win four in a row. It's not that it hasn't happened. Uh, and it has happened even with these two teams. And uh, so, you know, if Windsor's grasping at any thread of hope, uh, they've been given a little bit by the uh, suspension to Pinelli. And so he is going to be missed. He's uh, he just drives that that team with his energy. So somebody will need to uh, step up and sort of uh, but down three nothing. That's uh, that's a tough situation to get out of. Apparently, uh, no tickets left. It'll be a, a madhouse on East Avenue tonight in Kitchener. They will be uh, uh, anticipating a, uh, a Ranger victory. So it'll be um, some things will be against the Spitfires uh, in terms of energy and crowd. And some things uh, in the terms of the lineup will be in favor of the Spitfires. Well, and Windsor went all in too. They made some acquisitions to show that we are committed this year. And that would be, you know, that's one of the risks when you commit so much draft capital and futures to try to win all in one year when they go out and they acquire players like Shane Wright and you know really make a statement and you know there's it's not as likely but there's always that chance that you know in the first round you could run into a hot team and Mike you've mentioned this it's probably one of the best eight seeds you've ever seen and Kitchener is showing it for that exact reason. They are. And you're right about Windsor. When you're going for it, you got to be going for it. You really do in junior hockey and credit Windsor for doing that. But when you look at that draft capital that you're talking about in picking up Shane Wright, Londoner Brett Harrison from Oshawa, and then Jacob Holmes from the Sudbury Wolves. So three players in those deals, the Windsor Spitfires gave up seven second round picks, eight third round picks, three fourth round picks, and a fifth and a sixth, just in those three deals. So their draft cupboard is very, very bare. Jim, there's usually, I mean, the way that the draft goes now has changed a little bit with it starting on Friday nights, but there used to be that you had five rounds of the draft, and then there was a break, essentially for lunch, because it would start in the morning on a Saturday. If that was the case this year, Windsor could make their first round pick because you can't trade first rounders in the OHL and they could go to lunch immediately because they don't have another pick until the sixth round. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? Yeah, those are those were great memories uh, with the live draft. Uh, we remember Gordy Woods uh, used to run Cornwall and won a couple of straight Memorial Cups. And he, he used to figure any player after the 12th round is not making my team. So he would package up his last six picks or something or four picks or five picks and sell them for a thousand bucks and then use that money to buy his scouts dinner. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good, uh, Gordy was a real character, but uh, you know, and and credit the rate. Well, the one thing you have to, uh, I guess, understand about draft picks these days um, and Windsor decided we're all in, we're all in. And, uh, Mike, you've often described uh, some of these draft picks as just placeholders, and uh, they aren't players. Uh, they are future players. And the the draft picks that you trade, uh, once your turn uh, sort of comes around, you can you can acquire these draft picks back. But you have to, you know, trade some of your best players. And I think Windsor looked at their roster and said, "Look, we went to the final last year, came within a game." Uh, our, our our time is, uh, you know, the competitive uh, time uh, on their calendar is is this is our year. 
we'll worry about this year, this year, and worry about next year, next year. And they said, well, we're, we got to go for it. And you're right. They went all in. And uh, the process now will be to replenish those draft picks. So, Windsor, if you accept that cyclical uh, nature of, of OHL hockey that way, you can justify it for sure. And um, that that's one of the reasons uh, you're seeing the OHL doesn't allow you to trade first round draft picks <laughs> because, uh, you know, they, they want to protect teams sometimes against themselves. But uh, Windsor is accepting, I think, of the cycle of junior hockey that, yeah, then our really good players next year will be able to uh, trade and get, uh, you know, the, the contenders will then have to trade draft picks to us. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's the way it goes. It's the it's the circle of junior hockey. It's the circle of sports in general. You know, when you're not a contending team, you you know, a lot of contending teams want bits and pieces of your team and you slowly stock the cupboards and, you know, retool and refocus for the future. And, you know, I think that's what's been so impressive for the London Knights is they've just they've done a little bit of both, but still remain competitive this whole time while winning multiple Memorial cup championships over the last few decades. So it really is a sight to behold. The Knights could go for the sweep tonight as law, as well as the Sarnia sting and Kitchener Rangers gentlemen, a couple other series that are going on that are a lot closer than I think a lot of people gave credit for the Bulldogs and Colts tied at two right now. You mentioned uh, suspensions to players having an impact on the series. Brent Clark not being with the Barry Colts is he is a big contributor to that team. And that series is tied up at two. Good for Hamilton to tie that one up. And the Steelheads and Battalion also tied at two. Mississauga, I believe, has outshot, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, they have outshot the Battalion in every game of that series so far. Yeah, such a surprise. That one, that one really baffles me. We saw the North Bay Battalion late in the season. And they looked ready to play playoff hockey. They gave you nothing. They were disciplined. Everybody had bought in. They had guys who were scoring goals. And somehow the Steelheads have really thrown a wrench into that. And you mentioned the shots, Kyle. This seems to be Mississauga's strategy. Throw pucks at the net from everywhere. Lots of them. And it seems to be giving the battalion a little bit of trouble. That when you try and execute, they can shut that down. When you're just flinging pucks from everywhere and going after them and you know, there have been times if you watch some of the games when, you know, battalion players who normally wouldn't be out of position are out of position. And it's freeing up a one-timer in the slot. Whatever Mississauga is doing, create some chaos, is working. And that's a surprising 2-2 series. And credit the Hamilton Bulldogs. They're going to be the Brantford Bulldogs next year. Brantford should be even more excited now. Giving this Colts team a run, 2-2, even if they don't get out of this round, this is impressive, and this is a team that it's almost like the L.A. Kings of the National Hockey League where, you know, and, and in junior hockey, it's almost fast-forwarded. The L.A. Kings took a little bit of a step back, kept some similar players, and now they're one of the top teams in the league again. I think you'll see the Bulldogs doing that as well. It's funny because London's so familiar with making trades with them. You know, they were able to, to grab – uh, Diaco before the season started and then Winterton and Humphrey and you know a lot of you know some of the younger Knights are are over there now with uh, Luca Testa and you know Sahil Panwar is over there as well and you know they've kind of put things together and it's there's no real big individual on that team it's they are really playing as a team I think they've embraced the underdog role and yeah, they've they've got some fight in them and they're taking on a Barry team that had a really strong end of the season and they're hanging in there it's, it's really fun to see. 
Yeah, it's a, a, a good, solid, uh, fundamental uh, organization. They committed to the rebuild. And then, you know, when you do the right things, it's amazing how quickly you can uh, build a team and a community and a spirit in you. And I think I see that happening with Hamilton, but also Mississauga. Uh, Mike Mike mentioned Mississauga. And I, I've always, I always go, uh, I always feel bad for the players in uh, in Mississauga, just from the standpoint of, the uh, anonymous nature of life as a Mississauga steelhead. Nobody goes to watch you or very few and you're able to, but maybe that's a, a good thing in some ways. And maybe you, you're seeing that against uh, North Bay where North Bay is a hockey hungry market and they uh, have great hopes for the uh, team this year. And Mississauga has gone in and kind of spoiled the party, but it's, um, it's easy to have that us against the world mentality. If you're playing in Mississauga, it's like nobody loves us and the team looks inward and pulls together. And I I'm with Mike, this one, that, that uh, Mississauga North Bay, that's a, a, the shocker of the first round to me, but uh, just goes to show you these, uh, these players are excellent players. And when they just, you know, when a team decides, okay. Uh, and they made some really interesting and good trades again, they got a lot of young, really good young talent there and, uh, you know, a, a leader in, in James Hardy. So, uh, you know, good for Mississauga to pull that, uh, pull together and even make a good series out of that because I, I, Mike and I are the same on this. And we saw North Bay late in the year, it looked like they were a bear and uh, they were going to be a title contender, not just trying to eke out a first round series against uh, Mississauga. Well, and it is really fun to see that. And, and like you said, good on the steelheads and yeah, good on, all the other series that have been so much fun right now. Uh, again, congrats to the Peets for moving on to their second round. They're the first team through. The London Knights could be the second. The Rangers and Sting could also be joining them. Puck drop tonight, 980 CFPL, 7 p.m. Gentlemen, you will have the call for the game from the Bay Shore. Any last-minute notes or things you guys want to say before Game 4 starts? I just think it's the fast start that Jim was talking about, the difference in getting that first goal, and then being ready for a couple of different styles of the Owen Sound attack where they switched and became very defensive in game two. I don't think that they will go against abandoning that if they need to and go back to that aggressive forecheck and, and everything that they've done throughout the year and, and kind of for years because of their home ice advantage. So it'll be about the Knights being ready to adjust on the fly, something they did well in game two. And I think that'll, that'll make the difference there in terms of getting that first goal and then just being willing to, to see a few different styles from Owen Sound you know, dissect what it is, which the coaches will, and adjust to it, which the players will have to. The spirit is good. Practice was very lively uh, yesterday, and the Knights are feeling good about their game. And I'm, uh, they will come out tonight, I think, with uh, with that in mind, that they would really love to have maybe a, a bit of uh, time off and give uh, Knights fans um, an Easter weekend, uh, maybe to focus on family matters, I guess. But uh, I think at any time, you get a playoff you get a chance to get a playoff series done you really have to bring a desperate quality to your game well and i said this to george diaco after his game two heroics i said i hope we don't have to see you on friday and i think he's thinking the same thing london knights owen sound attack 
The Knights could close out the series tonight at the Bayshore. As I mentioned, you can listen to the game on 980 CFPL. You can follow us all game long. They post updates, Stubbs and Jim Van Horn do on Twitter at Stubbs980. Jim is also uh, very lively on Twitter. Myself at Kyle Grimard. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're also up at globalnews.ca. That is it for the night shift. Myself, Mike Stubbs, and Jim Van Horn. Enjoy, and the next episode is coming up after the long weekend. 